Good morning and welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball for Thursday, May 20th, 2021. He is Tristan Happy Cockroft. Kyle Sapi produces and researches, and I am merely Eric Carabell driving the bus. Fantasy Focus Baseball is presented by LinkedIn Jobs. What a packed show we have today. The awesome Savanya Bell discusses the injury situations with Mike Trout and some others. Uh, another no-hitter. It's nearly a daily occurrence now. Nick Pavetta might be next. Or Vince Velasquez. And the notable weekend pitchers, Tristan sings a lot. Trivia hash browns. You know the drill. Tristan, how are you today? Breaking news. There's breaking news. Kyle Soppy has a no-hitter through six innings. I just wanted to let you know. I think he is that not is that not breaking news anymore that you know there's no nos through six innings. I'm, I'm starting to wonder. Last nine innings or a no hitter? Who knows? Um, <laughs> we're going to get to all that first. We're going to bring in an interview that we had with Stefania. This was uh, recorded on Wednesday because today Thursday is her birthday and she has other plans. But uh, Stefania, we're going to bring in this interview right now, and then afterwards, Tristan and I will talk about it. Here it is. And now we bring in our dear old friend and colleague, Stefania Bell, to discuss some key injuries here, including the obvious one, Mike Trout. Stefania, welcome today and an early happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you. You guys are so nice. I appreciate well, that. We try. We've got to get the birthday song in there for you. I might get the birthday song. I knew there was a reason I showed up today. Besides <laughs> seeing be your kind. smiling faces. Yes. Well, it's good to see your smiling face as well as we do this on Squadcast. Let's get right to Mike Trout. This is a serious injury. They say six to eight weeks. It's a right calf tear. A lot of injuries this guy for this guy over the years. He said he was scared of the torn Achilles. Um, that would be a much bigger deal. Um, what are your overall thoughts here on Trout? Because six to eight weeks is a really long time. It's like, you know, third of the season. Yeah, well, as soon as I heard the time frame, I was like, okay, it sounds like he has a grade two strain. This is what it's got to be because there's this huge range on these injuries in terms of recovery time. But it tells me that they saw something that shows substantial damage to the soft tissue, maybe substantial inflammation. And it's also reflective of how slow these injuries are to recover from. The challenge with the calf strain as opposed to, you know, pick another soft tissue, quad, hamstring, what have you is that guys will feel pretty good walking around pretty quickly. Like they definitely don't feel good. It's hard to push off. Uh, sometimes they have to wear like a little support in the, in the heel of their shoes that so they're not loading the calf or they, or they're in a boot. Uh, but that goes away pretty quickly. And so they start feeling more confident, like I can do things. But the thing that is so hard to get back is the power. It's the burst. It's the hard push off. And there was a, actually a study published in American Journal of Sports Medicine uh, last year, basically epidemiological data on gastroc injuries. So gastroc is the main calf muscle that's usually injured in these athletes. Uh, gastroc injuries in professional baseball players and looking at some of the descriptive statistics. And I thought that the range of missed time was interesting, right? Because it goes from one to 109 days, right? So it's all over the map. And that, de that depends on severity, but it also shows the range. That's in major league players. And the other thing that's interesting is more than 30% of the injuries happen when running the bases. So that is reflective of how hard it is for them to get that power. Most of the time, it's going from home plate to first, too. You know, you're trying to get out of the batter's box quickly. You're trying to make it to first base, and that's when you pull the calf. So the time frame tells me the injury was significant enough that they're not willing to rush him back. And when you start looking at where does six to eight weeks land us, it makes you wonder if they're just going to keep him out till past the all-star break to be safe. 
Yeah, first thing I thought with the timing with the All-Star break is a lot of teams tend to do that. I, I'm a little concerned about production afterwards. And for me, I know personally, it's been difficult to let go of the idea that Trout was a guy who stole a lot of bases. He's had four attempts in 99 games since the beginning of last season. This is an issue that I wonder could, whether that could uh, <laughs> persuade him to maintain that low rate or perhaps just not even attempt any steals. That's going to influence his fa- fantasy value. And the second part of that, which leads into the long-term angle for me is, is he developing this reputation for being injury prone? I mean, this is the third different injury he's had since two, uh, 2017. He's missed 110 total games during that time. And the other two were not tied to this. It's not a repeat one. He had a thumb issue and he had a wrist issue. Maybe I was forgiving of the fact that you know some of these were fluky situations, but is it a valid question now that he might not run and that he might be injury prone? Well, let's let's go with the injury prone one first. I don't I don't think he is. I think he's a baseball player who's aging. It's awful to say that when somebody's 29 years old. But when you're a pro athlete, uh, that that 30 is a magic number in terms of when we start to see decline, especially soft tissue injury related. And the flip side is you wonder, because he's been so active, this guy who plays every day, he's a guy who hasn't missed much time except for a couple bigger injuries. Is that ultimately catching up to him because he has so much wear and tear from being a daily player. You know, at some point, uh, you know, a guy steps out for Tommy John and while it's a big injury and they miss a ton of time, they come back sometimes they're in the best shape of their life because they've had this recovery window that they never would have had if they hadn't been forced out of baseball. If you take Trout's thumb injury, that was the ulnar collateral ligament tear, a hook slide, you know, head first slides. We see it all the time. Um, And he actually came back on the quicker side of that, he had um, a repair with the internal brace. It's called a, a UCL repair augmented with an internal brace. And he actually make it, made it back fairly quickly. In fact, when Drew Brees had his thumb injury, the guy whose timetable he was trying to beat was Mike Trapp. Different sport, but same injury in the, in, and looked at that as somebody who came back fairly quickly. So if you look at the injury relative to the time missed, he actually did pretty well. And the, then you go to... In, 2018 he missed 22 games in 2019 three of the games he missed were because of a mild calf strain same leg so was that a precursor to this probably it probably was an indicator that this was ultimately going to happen even though you wouldn't know when Um, and then last year he didn't miss too many but the season was so skewed and remember when this year started I think the last time we got together I, we talked about, it was the last time or the time before, the fact that it would be hard to predict what would happen this year because you're coming out of a strange season, an abnormal off season, and now rolling into this 162-game season. And we didn't know how it was going to impact athletes. And I think we're seeing it with the soft tissue injuries all over the place. So ultimately, Stefania, for the final, say, 10 weeks of the season, do you expect Mike Trout to hit, not steal, hit, the way he's expected to hit, the way he has this season with a high OPS and power, you expect he'll come back healthy and be strong again. Yes, I expect all those things. The caveat is as long as when he comes back, it is at a point where he's recovered. You know, he's not trying to push it and come back too quickly where you see the setback where, um, uh, you know, somebody like, remember Josh Donaldson with the recurrent calf injuries that could never get past it? I mean, Mike Trout is fit and he's healthy. And he's smart. And I think when he comes back, he will be all of those things. But to Tristan's point, you do worry about the steals. Um, he's got two strikes against him. Uh, no pun intended with the baseball reference. But, you know, head first slide cost him 
how many games when he had the the thumb injury and surgery, and now he's got a calf injury. So like those those are two things you need to be able to slide and be able to explode off a of base when you're trying to steal. It makes you wonder if the stealing, you know, that that might be a thing of the past. Yeah, that's just what I was worried about. <laughs> uh, that injury was on a stolen base there. And the worst is I've got Trout as the leading guy in my labor AL team. I've got Corey Seager, who I'm sure we'll get into next year, uh, as the lead guy on my Tout Wars team. Uh, you know, so it's your fault. It's doomed. I'm, I'm doomed, right? <laughs> Usually that's Stefania's angle where she talks about a player and then they get I hurt. Know. Oh, hey, I got Max Scherzer in, in, uh, in, in my labor oh, team. Don't and... do that. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Listen. Kyle will vouch for me and he's a co-manager in that league that I was the one who signed off on Max Scherzer and knock on wood. <laughs> well, look, everybody's getting hurt. So every team is affected here. Let's move on to Corey Seager now. When I heard the news that he didn't need surgery on the uh, fractured metacarpal, I thought, well, that's good news. He should be back sooner. But what goes into wh- whether doctors ne- uh, discuss whether someone needs surgery on a broken bone like that or not? There are several factors. I mean, the the one that where there wouldn't be any discussion of whether it's happening or not is if the bone was not in proper alignment. So when you have a fracture, sometimes it's just a crack through the bone. There's no displacement, right? Everything is still in perfectly normal alignment. And the idea is if you immobilize it, keep it that way, it should heal perfectly fine. Uh, but if you have a fracture and the bones move out of position relative to one another, uh, then you might need to have surgery to insert hardware to restore proper alignment. Uh, likewise, if you had splintered pieces, something they call a comminuted fracture, that would be something where um, it would be a surgical situation. Now, I have seen there have been metacarpal fractures where, and certainly we've seen this in the NFL, Um, where the hardware has been added as a means of stabilizing the injury and allowing the player to get back to play more quickly. But you're looking at different requirements um, in in the sports. You know, in in the NFL, as long as they can catch the ball, which um, Julio Jones is somebody who came back after a metacarpal fracture. I I think he had it in college and was back within like eight or nine days. And he actually, there was a paper that the surgeons who uh, operate on him did a, a series after that because they found they were getting guys back so quickly. But he had to be able to catch a larger football and be able to block. When you're in baseball, you're talking about a, a smaller grip because you have to be able to grip the bat. You have to be able to control the bat swing. It's a lot more finesse to it. And so you want to make sure you can get that range of motion back. You can't have uh, scar tissue in the way that's going to hinder your ability to perform. So the length of time, whether you have surgery or not, just from the healing and being able to get the functionality back takes you quite a bit longer. There was another article that was published, um, I'm trying to see when, oh, 2018. And it was actually the lead author was um, one of the twins physicians. And they looked back at all the injuries resulting from being hit by a pitch. And the most common parts that were injured from being hit by a pitch, as you might expect, uh, hand and fingers were uh, over 20%. They were, they were most of them. Um, and the average return time for hand and finger injuries was 14.4 days. But when it came to metacarpal fractures, which is a very low percentage, actually, you have to be hit. The metacarpal, for those who might not be aware, is the long bone of the hand between the, the tiny bones of the wrist and the bones of the fingers. And looking at hand metacarpal fractures, they were only 2.6% of all hit by pitch injuries, but on average, 52 days to return. And I think that speaks to the specificity of 
why, you know, what you need your hand for. If you think of, um, I can show you guys because we're on Squadcast, but I have to describe it. When you close your fist, you can see if you look at the long bones of your hand, you will see that there's actually a rolling that happens. So when you make a fist, you see them sort of roll down. See, I see you guys doing it. The audience at home can do it. But as you make a fist, the metacarpals actually move in sort of a rolling direction. And that's what helps you get grip. And so when you have a fracture and you have to immobilize it, that then gets stiff. Well, you have to get that range of motion back to be able to grip and then turn that into power. So um, it's a harder injury to recover from. First, you have the bone healing time, but even if the bone heals well, you've got to have the functionality back. Hearing that, I'm now completely uncomfortable. And Stefan, you're going to give me, I hope, the best (laughs) answer possibly here for my team, because that's all it's about, that Seager's not going to have a downturn in performance after he comes back. Because I think the the worry is here, is there anything in the data that says those players do struggle to recapture their power, for example? I love Seager. I think he's the player he was during the postseason last year. I hope we see that guy back. You know, I think there's a lot of assumptions. Every time we see hand and wrist injuries, people are like, oh, but their power when they come back. Well, it really depends on the structure that's involved. I mean, the good thing about a metacarpal fracture is once the bone heals, like, Bone is strong. That's the most resilient tissue and often heals as strong or stronger after a fracture because you get extra bone laying down there. So the risk of re-injury is really, really relatively non-existent. It's not a concern. Um, The question, though, is are you hitting the same? And that goes back to what we were just talking about. Do you have the range of motion to grip the bat as you normally would? Because if anything changes in the way a player is holding the bat or making an adjustment there, that can translate to a power change. But as long as he's able to do all those things, then no, he should come back and he should be able to hit just fine. They may be a little rusty. Uh, There may be, if they're still vibration sensitive, sometimes it takes a little bit to get over that. But uh, there's no reason I would expect a a long drop-off for him once he returns. All right, briefly here, Christian Yelich, lingering back injuries, two DL stints. He's off it now. He's, he's playing. Doesn't mean he's healthy. Do you, do you expect a back injury to bother him the rest of the season and perhaps beyond? I think it's going to be a ma- management issue. Sorry about my, my dog. There's somebody out there that is making him nervous. So um, it's not you guys, though. Uh, <laughs> the, um, the issue with back problems is they become one of management. And if you look at what's happened with Yelich, right, he tried to come back. That didn't work out. And then we heard that they made an adjustment to his exercise program. So there's a lot of tweaking and finessing. Baseball is a rotational sport. Uh, the one thing your low back does not want to do is rotate. You don't have much capacity for rotation. So you have to make sure you've got enough hip flexibility, you've got enough power through your legs. If, we don't know what the nature of what provoked this was. Is it a disc problem where you have inflammation that has to be addressed? It's really, uh, it's a multifactorial problem. But the short answer is, I do think it has to be managed across the season. Am I concerned that it could be problematic again? Yeah. Stefania, last one for me is, uh, and as you can see on Squadcast, as you mentioned, you can see my, you know, where my uh, fandom lies. <laughs> so I got to ask the Homer question about John Carlos Stanton. And the reason I raise it, I know, look, he's, he, we've talked about him probably more than any player in our history doing this show. But this quad strain he had, I mean, that that actually was out of nowhere to me. I did not, I'm watching the Yankees every day, and I didn't hear anything about that until he went on the injured list. So is this just the same old thing? 
Well, in the sense of that it's another soft tissue injury for Stanton, yes. <laughs> but I also think the fact that they were like, yeah, they think it'll be just the minimum time makes me think maybe this is something where they saw something, he felt something, it's not a big deal, but they didn't want it to become one. Let's not forget, it, you know, they, they are well aware of what happens when he has to miss extended time. I mean, and and when he, when he was gone and he couldn't get right, he couldn't come back. If you're that Yankees, I would imagine you are going to play this conservatively because you're looking at a long season ahead. We're just in May. He's 31 years old. What did we say about over 30 and soft tissue injuries? Like you do not want this to become something big. We've already seen guys in the league go down with hip flexor tears and pulls that are going to cost them months, you know, not weeks. And they don't want to take a chance on that. So I think this is a conservative approach to something that's relatively mild and hopefully it, they nip it in the bud and then you can be happy. <laughs> Well, we all want to be happy, and you look happy, and it's great to see you, Stefania. Happy birthday to you. Thanks for giving us a couple minutes here on Fantasy Focus Baseball, and Indeed. have a great summer. Happy Thank you so much. Happy birthday. It's good Thank to see you. you. Thanks, Stefania. Thanks for having me. All right, so great stuff, as always, by the great Stefania, Tristan. And the trout situation, you know, we talked about it a little bit there, but this is two months, and I don't think they're calling up Joe Adele or Brandon Marsh. You wrote about Adele the other day, and I wrote about this as well. I think they're just going to try to go with like Scott Schiebler and and Turner Ward, Taylor Ward, whatever his name is, and, and just kind of get through the next two months. I don't think we're seeing Joe Adele first. I think Marsh comes up probably in June, and Adele, if he keeps striking out 40% of the time, he's not coming up anytime soon. Do you disagree with that? Not really. I don't disagree. I, I My write-up for Adele yesterday uh, was more about going for ceilings than anything. And you got to do that sometimes in fantasy. The Angels are in a tough spot. It's a little bit like the New York Mets where they are just, I mean, the injuries have have put them in a pretty bad spot. In the the Mets case, it's also the outfield, just like the Angels, also their starting rotation. Um, They're just, to me, aren't enough players to fill these games for the long haul. So if it's two months, I have to wonder how quickly they're going to be pushed into a decision on either Marsh. And I agree with you. Marsh might be the first guy who gets called up over Adele. I just think Adele could give you a greater power and speed ceiling of the two of them. So I I don't know. I'm curious to see what happens with them. I think we're going to see something happen. Either they bring in an extra player just for more depth or they call up one of those guys probably within a week to 10 days. Right. Adele's rostered in more than 5% of ESPN standard leagues. Marsh is at like 1%. I don't know if I could make the case right now in an ESPN standard league to roster either one of them. Mm-hmm. I think that would be my thing. I don't want to roster Scott Schiebler or Taylor Ward either, but um, that's that's my point. And then, you know, briefly here on what I discussed, you know, I wrote about Trout and I said, in a roto league, I'm not sure he's a first round pick anymore. And it's not just because of the lack of stolen bases. It's because of the lack of games. This will be the fourth consecutive full season that he misses roughly 30 or more games. He's going to end up averaging over a four year period. If you remove 2020, 120 games. And, it, you know, if Anthony Rizzo was doing that, we wouldn't be drafting the top 100. Mm-hmm. If Yelich does that, we wouldn't be. We're going, People are giving Trout a pass here. Do you disagree with my statement? I don't know if they're giving him a pass. That it's it's we're at a, a kind of a turning point in his career, fantasy wise, and I mean in the real game too, I suppose. Um, the running tally's 111 games missed since the beginning of 2017. Now 111 games, and I mean you're right. That's it's going to pile up considerably from there. At the same time, the numbers since 2017 tops in the majors in OPS by a lot. 
He's tied for second in home runs. He was actually tied for first at the time he got hurt. Fifth in runs scored, 12th in batting average. He's tied for 24th in RBI. That's one of the disappointing ones. The stolen bases, as I mentioned with Stefania, that's another one where, you know, that has declined. I think that's going to have a big say in this. But you bring up a very valid point about Trout not being an automatic first-round pick. And the first thing I think of is the Clayton Kershaw of hitters argument. Remember when Kershaw began to have some of the back issues and we questioned whether he really was a candidate for that number one overall starting pitcher spot? I think Trout might be in that situation. But I also wonder whether this is going to be league contextual because I mentioned those stats. In an ESPN standard league, I think you can fill the games quite easily. The replacement level is very high. I think you know you, you want these high level games from him when he's healthy and I still think he'll provide them. I don't know, it's it's a really good debate. I'm you and I will be talking about it a lot during the offseason, I'm sure. I, you know what? That's a great point. He is the Kershaw of outfielders right now. And but Kershaw we dinged in drafts and nobody seems to be thinking that with Trout, so which is the point. We'll get move on now to other things. And by the way, I would say there's there's nothing to pick up. I mean, Harrison Bader is the best outfielder pickup right now. And most of the others that I wrote about the other day as as options are unsatisfying statistically. So I, I think, yeah, it's great to have trout for two thirds of a season every year, but there's nothing to sign in a free and even in an ESPN standard 10 teamer, there's no outfitters to get. I, so it's a guy who has them in labor AL 12 team American league only. And there is almost nothing. literally zero available on the, I mean, almost literally zero is available as free agents in labor. It's a little bit different in that league. I, I, I mean, Harrison Bader versus a guy who's probably going to give you a zero for the week is. <laughs> yeah, but my point is not that AL labor, obviously in an AL only, it's much worse. And an NL when you lose Seager, it's much worse. My point is in a mixed league, are you excited about picking up Harrison Bader? No, of course you're not. I mean, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. Moving on, Tristan, we have two no hitters since our last show, which is kind of weird. And now like six of the eight have been against Texas, Seattle and Cleveland, which tells us a lot, I think, right? I mean, like if you're in a daily format, don't you just go up against those offenses like every day now, no matter who the pitcher is, even like bad pitchers. Yeah. Like Kyle Gibson's going to throw a no hitter against one of these teams. Well, he's on one of these teams. But the point is like. <laughs> yeah, what happens when the two teams face each other, right? <laughs> nobody gets a hit, right? It's the Harvey yeah. Haddock's game. Yeah. Um, like seriously, let's just get to the two pitchers here. But I, I by the way, probably not aware of this because. But, I want to go the eighth though hitter though. I, like you said, six of eight. I think isn't it six of seven? Oh yeah, Bumgarner six is and then seven. Bumgarner's was against Atlanta, which grades a good matchup. But we mentioned the the sun and the shadows. They were awkward at, at the the game time. So yeah, each one had a had a matchups contextual situation. We brought that up in previous shows. This one might be more for Davey, but my number four and five starters in our twelve team uh, sim league are Corey Kluber and Spencer Turnbull. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, with Bieber and Bauer. So watch out next yeah. year. Anyway, oh, uh, anyway, let's get let's talk about Spencer Turnbull because he's actually he was pitching well before this game, mm-hmm. but um, he did well. He's done well in his starts against Pittsburgh and Seattle, and then mm-hmm. against Boston and the Yankees, not so much. So, what is Spencer Turnbull? Is he a guy? And actually, who who would you rather have the rest of the season, Turnbull or Kluber? You're probably going to say Kluber here, but is Turnbull like a top seventy five starting pitcher to you now, or do you need to see more? 75 is a good number to throw. He might be in that group. I, I I think my hesitation is that the Tigers won't give him enough volume to get there and they're not going to support him to get enough wins. I mean, you know, like the, well, what was his, he was like five and 17, two or th- two years ago. It was like three and 17. Yeah. I mean, it, it he was, was, 
bad. And I think it could be in that ballpark where he gives you 135 decent quality innings and the wins just don't drive the player rate or uh, evaluation. But what I like about what he did, he's going a lot heavier on a cutter. He's cutter, sinker, slider, largely. That's a bit of a change from before. Um, also a four-year pattern of increased ground ball rates and diminished hard contact rates. So there's some growth there. Two-star guy next week. First one's against Cleveland, one of the teams that can't yep. hit. So yep. I would say Turnbull's a good pickup. Um, sure. You know, Kluber, a little bit different. Obviously, I, I said a month ago I didn't want any part of him. But I, I don't want to switch off that too much. His last five outings, I hate to do this, but we got to. Texas, mm-hmm. Baltimore, Washington, Detroit, yep. Baltimore. Nary a good offense there. First no-hitter for the Yankees since David Cohn. But the schedule does get tougher. Toronto, yep. Detroit, Boston, Minnesota, three of those teams should hit. So what is Corey Kluber? Is he a guy you just use stream against bad teams or is he a guy you trust now? Oh, yeah, well. and, and he hovers in between for me for those. I like the fact that he's aligned for two starts that I'll use him. The Detroit game kind of drives that a bit. Um, Coinciding with this great schedule is the fact that he's going really heavy changeup more than he ever has in his ty- entire career and the performance of the slider is better. Something has changed, but he's not the Kluber of old. You and I mentioned about he's not throwing as hard as he did in his prime. There's no question about that. He's trying to work with finesse here, but he's got enough to get by. But I do need to see it. I agree with you against better teams. Like the Boston outing is going to be one that drives his, his rest of season ranking. So to me, I say 50, top 50, that 50 number is as Isn't this far as going. It doesn't this remind you of Zach Granke. I mean, yeah. the, vo- the, the velocity is down like two miles per hour in two years. Yeah. It's all change up slider. It's, it's, it's interesting what he's doing. He's commanding his stuff very well. But when I was watching that last night, I was thinking this is exactly what Granke does. He's just smart now at this point. He's not overpowering anybody. He's still getting swings and misses. Yeah, and, and, and the major difference between the two of them, which is why I would rank Granke still higher than Kluber, is that Granke's got that pinpoint control. Kluber does not. So there's still some work to be done before we can call Kluber back and effective. I probably would put him right around where I did in the preseason. That's about the number 50 spot. All right. Now Tristan sings the combo meals. Hey, it's a combo meal. Combo. Combo. It's a combo meal. Home run plus steal. These players were making moves earlier this week and making moves is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Build your winning team today. Go to LinkedIn.com slash sports. We got two of them since our last show, Adalos Garcia of, of Texas, and then on Wednesday in his first game back after missing like 10 days because of the COVID, Fernando Tatis Jr. goes nuts, a couple homers, a steal, a nice split at second base. He's a dominant player. Um, he obviously wasn't feeling any of after effects of, uh, of the virus or anything. I don't know what really happened there, but um, Tatis is awesome. Adalos Garcia is still awesome, Tristan, and I'm wondering, like, like I've got him on a team, and then I have another team. I have a Trout team. Okay, mm-hmm. you were in this league before. I won it last year, and it's just ravaged by injuries. And I had a shot to bid on Adolis Garcia, and I didn't do it, and I really regret it now. Now I'm hoping to get Tyler Naquin, of all people. But is Garcia legit? This looks like a 30-home run guy who's going to steal double-digit bases. He's, he's not going to have a good a stolen base percentage, and he's going to strike out 175 times. But if he bats 275 with 30 homers and 12 steals, that's a yeah. top 15 outfielder, isn't it? It really is, yeah. And understand we're talking about traditional roto where we're leaning on the batting average and not things like on base percentage because he is a bit of a free swinger. So the drawback is you mentioned that other league. 
you probably hesitated because there's some sabermetric things in there because most of the leagues that we've played in lean more towards sabermetrics and reward the walks. That's the real limitation for Garcia. But I love what I see. He has kept it up. He and Jermaine Mercedes are probably the two players who I've been most completely surprised by their level of success. They have been excellent, have kept it up consistently. I don't see a lot of reason to shy from them. Not not significantly. They will regress a little bit, but not enough to to be irrelevant in fantasy. All right, but there's some unwritten rules here, Tristan, about your Mercedes. You have to make sure you follow them. Or everything is going to go awry. Hey, okay. I got an office and I'm in it. Do you got a locker or you got an office? Which one? <laughs> how, how ridiculous is all that? Moving on, those were the combo meals. And now let's do a little closer carousel, if you please. It's the closer carousel. Um. I think James Karinchak might be the most valuable relief pitcher in our in fantasy baseball if he's if he continues to get saves. He is just as good as Aroldis and Hader with his strikeouts, with his run prevention, and if he's ne- he's got saves the last two days, James Karinchak, I don't even think it's bold. He's going to be the best relief pitcher in fantasy baseball this year if this continues. I also don't think that's bold, but I think it's something to say because class a emmanuel class a pitched the eighth inning before him in this one and the only reason i can support this not being fully Karinchek's job and being a hundred percent on board with what you said that he might well be the number one pitcher uh relief pitcher relief pitcher just to be clear in fantasy is that maybe terry francona saw that the bottom of the lineup was up in the eighth gave class a the you know, the eight, nine, one spots, one wasn't really all that impressive in that lineup and decided to save Rendon and Jared Walsh for Karinchak. But it's, it's curious to see what's going on in there in Cleveland. They might be going the Seattle way where they divide up the save chances. I feel like I'm remembering the 86 Mets with McDowell and Orozco and they were both fantasy relevant in that year, but this might've turned. This might've turned. It might've turned this, this week. And Karinchak's obviously rostered everywhere, but if you still have a shot to, if you could trade Alex Reyes for Karinchak right now in your league. Oh, in a second. I mean, you oh. wrote about Reyes uh, negatively the other day and, and he's not walking people anymore. Mm-hmm. So like the trend to me is a little bit different than that. If you look at his season numbers, there's a lot of walks, but not recently, but I see what you're saying about health and staying 80 innings. How is Alex yeah. Reyes going to do that? Yeah. So that's, that's the, the good point there. Um, and, and the Cardinals, by the way, are very mindful about the workloads, the rotation. They're already looking at six-man rotation next week. So they are, they have this very much in mind. By the way, I did a quick thing because I was trying to figure out if it was a leverage situation in Seattle and Cleveland's bullpens. Um, Alex Reyes leads the majors in the lowest leverage save chances. He has six converted saves in very low leverage situations. Yeah, there's a little bit to be worried about there, but it wouldn't shock me at all if he ends up with like a, a top 10 fantasy season. Oh, sure, sure. Because he could have 30 saves even if he has a DL stint here or there. I mean, they're mm-hmm. not sharing at all. It's amazing what how that changed. No, know. Jordan Hicks is on the 60-day IL, so he's out until the end of June. I don't I think, think he was involved anyway. He was pitching earlier in games. Um, and Seattle, you mentioned, I don't see how Montero is even involved in the saves anymore, the way he's getting lit up. It's got to be Graveman now. And then another one that was, I thought was interesting the other day, San Francisco. Jake McGee threw the eighth inning of a one nothing game, and it was not to face the lefties. Winker did not come up until the next inning, the ninth inning, and that was Trevor Rogers. Now, they scored three in the top of the ninth to make it a 4 nothing lead, but that was a change. Jake McGee got the eighth inning with a one nothing lead, and he wasn't facing the lefties. Mm-hmm. So now I'm thinking that is a shared situation. 
Oh, I think there's no question. It's at least a shared situation, if not slightly leaning Rodgers. By the way, I I think, in a way, Gabe Kapler's getting a little bit cute with that bullpen that he really realizes he should be using Rodgers full-time, but that he's trying to squeeze McGee in. I think he should. I wrote about Michael Fulmer the other day. You guys can check that out. Detroit's mm-hmm. only going to win 60 games, but Fulmer could save 20 of them. I could see that happening. You wrote about Hansel Robles. So we're writing about a lot of safe situations. And I'll finally ask you this, Tampa Bay. Um, Pete Fairbanks, we, you know, he saved, saved games in the playoffs last year, not during the regular season. Now he's healthy, throwing hard again. Mm-hmm. I could see double-digit saves here. He could split it with Diego Castillo. Mm-hmm. I don't feel any different about him today than I did on opening day. There was that injury thing where I was worried about what would happen long term. Looks good at this point. I still think that is Castillo's job, but it might have over the past week morphed into a 2020 clone. And that's just a mess if you're a Castillo manager. All right. Thursday's schedule, uh, boys and girls, has both Vince Velasquez of the Phillies and Nick Pavetta of Boston. Definite Phillies tie here on the mound. And I ask you, they're both readily available. Do either of them look good to you in fantasy and a standard mixed, or does it have to be a much deeper league? They're both pitching well. I mean, in fairness, Pavetta hasn't allowed more than three earned in a start in more than a month and just once this entire season. And Velasquez is going deeper into games than, than ever before. He's not walking mm-hmm. people. I mean, you can make the case that these guys are interesting now. Yeah, and especially today with the matchups, forecaster grades give you an above average for both of them, a home game against Miami for Velasquez, who, by the way, is missing bats, uh, You know, yeah. furthering your points on him. Uh, that's a plus matchup. I mean, Miami, a right-handed, uh, right-handed starter, that's a plus matchup. Um, Toronto's not so much, but Pavetta's pitched. I, I think there's a little bit more evidence to me about what he's done to kind of recapture some of his form. I would be on board with both of these. They're good streamers. Friday on ESPN Plus, you can watch Seattle and San Diego. Chris Paddock's going to go seven no-hit innings there against Chris Flexen. I mean, look, I look at the... If you try to guess the pitchers, I mean, it's just easy to say, well, who's Detroit facing? Mike Miner is going to throw a no-hitter on Friday. Like, you could do it that way if you want. How can you not use Mike Miner in a daily league or DFS on oh, Friday night? Yeah, oh, yeah. My, by the way, Mike Miner is drawing 60 game score grades by forecaster, so clearly people are very much underrating him. He's he's grading with the projections very favorably. Yeah, I, I agree. Rodon at the Yankees. Um I, I we have to expect some regression, and this is a tough matchup against the Yankees. And although they're missing one of their right-handed bats, as we mentioned in the Stefania interview, there. Yeah. Uh, but still, it's interesting stuff there with Rodon. I I still think he's a guy you try to trade away if you can, not give away. But you know, you need a bat, you need a lesser arm, you do it, right? Yeah, you know, I, I love him for his stuff. The concern I have is the White Sox are they're showing their hand clearly that they are monitoring his innings. They've already started pushing him back a little bit. I wonder how that's going to play out long-term. Friday is the 20-year anniversary of me shattering my elbow in a softball game for the ESPN softball team. Oh, man. Really? Schoenfeld was pitching that night. It's all his fault. I'm not sure he's even listening. (laughs) But, but, yeah, I did a dumb thing. And and my arm is He's out on a beach somewhere chilling. He's not listening to us. Come on. Yeah, why would he? And, you know, here I am. I can only, you know, straighten my arm at 80 80 degrees. All right, uh, Saturday. I should celebrate. We're going to have elbow macaroni on Friday night, dear. All right. uh, (laughs) Saturday in the park. I think it was the 4th of July. What do we have? Madison Bumgarner's on ESPN Plus at Coors. No, 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 no. You don't want to. Yeah, by the way, by the way, the Madison Bumgarner, in addition to Coors, he's coming off the injury. So there's a little uncertainty as to whether he'll make the start. They think he will. And I don't know how far he goes. What's interesting about all these no hitters is like Garrett Cole, Bieber, 
DeGrom, they're not throwing these no-hitters. Like Garrett Cole faces the White Sox. It's a good offense. They're missing mm-hmm. some parts, obviously. But, I mean, it's just like, who is throwing these? It's not It's not top 10 starting pitchers. You, you never see Walker Bueller take a no-hitter into the sixth inning, right? Yeah. Or Aaron Nola. It just doesn't happen very often, if at all. And then you got, you know, Spencer Turnbull doing his Bud Smith. It's just, it's interesting to me. I don't know. <laughs> it's Bud Smith. I like it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I you do. can't predict this stuff. Like, Robbie Ray has no hit stuff. He's going to walk half the team, but he's got no hit stuff. He's facing Tampa. I think you have to use Robbie Ray against Tampa. Although they oh, hit yeah. Robbie Ray, the only reason Robbie Ray, you wouldn't predict a, you know, a top shelf performance of a no hitter is if pitch, if pitch efficiency. It's the Blake Snell problem. Yeah. Yeah, he's going six innings. Brady Singer gets Detroit. You got to use him. Sunday you night. Uh, last outing. Are you full no, in? Not really. <laughs> I mean, the matchup? I'm with you on the matchup. Detroit is an amazing. You have to use anybody against Detroit, Cleveland, Seattle right now. So, mm-hmm. like, whoever San Diego goes with on Saturday night. You, and you... Pittsburgh righties. Always use Pittsburgh righties as well. Yeah. Okay. Sunday night baseball on ESPN. Zach Davies of the Cubs, who's pitched better of late against Kwang Young Kim. Well, I, I thought I heard Wainwright might go in that game, but yeah, um, they have they're activating Carlos Martinez for Friday. They're activating Miles Michaelis for Saturday. They're pushing Wainwright to Sunday, and they're going six man most likely. I, I've got shares of Wainwright in a bunch of places, and I'm still sticking with him because he to me he's durable. Goes deep in the games, helps him get wins and strikeouts. Yeah, he's kind of been all or nothing in his starts this year, but the Cubs offense is kind of all or nothing as well. So I like Wayne right here. I have Wayne Wright and Davies on a couple teams together. Um, the ESPN plus game is Andrew Heaney and Sean Anaya, a couple like underwhelming lefties that I expected more out of both of them. And we're just not getting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He- Heaney had his moments earlier in the year. I, I still, I just don't see it. I, I I haven't been on board with him for two to three years at this stage. I keep hovering, having him hovering in the 60s in my starting pitcher rankings. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, Patrick Corbin, six no-hit innings against Baltimore on Sunday. All right, let's move. <laughs> you think it's happening? It might. It might well. Corbin against the Phillies in his last outing looked really good, I got to tell you. Yeah. And exactly. I, I felt good about holding on to him in a bunch of leagues. I, you have to. Like, yeah. don't you have to? Anyway, look, we have to bring in now Kyle. He's got trivia. And I don't know if he, there is trivia today, but he, there's hash browns for sure. Kyle, what do we got? We can make up some trivia as we go here. There's, I'm looking at the top five in hard hit percentage. You've got Stanton, Judge, and Acuna are three of them. I want you to name the other two. <sighs> Top five and hard hit percentage. Yep, uh, 95 miles an hour off the bat or harder. Who's, who's yeah. doing it? Greatest percentage of time. We'll get Spencer back there Turnbull. in a second. <laughs> yeah. What was that? I said Spencer Turnbull. You can't even come up with some Yankee no-hitter trivia Probably for not, me. right. Come on. The no-hitter trivia is kind of null and void. It's going to be like, when was the last decade that we saw as many t- no-hitters last- as we've seen this week? Yeah. They're not even – like. They're not that rare. I mean, to have seven of them in in seven weeks is, you know. It's I'm getting concerned about the my feelings on the Bumgarner no hitter now that that's going to come back and burn us. And there's been know. more three more no hitters than three homer games. Yeah, For sure. Wow, like twice yeah. as many, right? I mean, all right. What's uh? What are the hash browns today? Matt wants to know what he's doing with Keston Hura in an OBP keeper league. Well, on a keeper, you have to keep him. But are you keeping Cure in a redraft format? Because, man, he was terrible. And he's hitting doubles in the minors, but he's not, not going nuts there. And Vogelbach gets on base a little at first base for Milwaukee. So it's like they're not in any hurry here. They're almost treating Cure like Joe Adele. 
is what I'm I, what I'm feeling here. Yeah, like, they're in no hurry yeah. to bring up Kessinger again, even though he was a monster the last couple of years. They're treating him like the way they the, the Angels are Joe Adele, which is really weird. So in a redraft, I might just move on. He was a top fifty hitter in our original rankings. In a, in, a, in a dynasty, you have to keep him though. Mm-hmm. By the way, uh, Vogelbach gets on base, but I, I I have to say it's an adventure when he does. Um, I have him in an NL only, and I'm struggling with this a lot. And I am leaning towards cutting him if I really need the spot. If there's something compelling, he's probably going to go. So that tells you a lot in terms of the redraft, and certainly in our mixed leagues, I, you have to. I have to hope you've already let him go in our standard leagues. Uh, people haven't. <laughs> That's for I'm sure. Surprised. Aren't you surprised by that? No, because they drafted him high, and it's this like thing draft, in your mind where you he, don't want to. Draft status doesn't matter now, does it? Of course it doesn't. But you, you tell people that, and they're not going to listen to you. He's still rostered in forty three point three percent of ESPN standard leagues, and the reason is because somebody spent a fifth round pick on him, and they have this internal bias. And I'm sure there's a fancy word for it that our our friend used to tell us what it is. I can't remember what it is, but the point is, like, she's now at the athletic. The point is, like, I. Nobody wants to drop a guy they drafted in round five or six, certainly not before Memorial Day. But is if you need, the, is that the FOMO thing? The hashtag cognitive bias? Is that what yeah? It might just, it cognitive might be that bias. Yes, well said. <laughs> and and, and there, there's something to that. She's exactly right. I mean, that's the point. Is like you you traded for this guy or you drafted him highly. Oh, I I, I owe it to myself. No, it's a sunk cost, people. Where you drafted a guy means nothing if they're not going to help you in fantasy for this season in a redraft. And I'm not sure Keston Chura is. Like, mm-hmm. what what's the best case scenario for him? Like in the minors right now, he's raking, and, and it's been a week. But it's still two walks and 10 strikeouts in six games. Yeah. He looks the same to me. He's just hitting doubles. 10Ks, 27 PAs tells you a lot. Uh, that's what needed to change. We said it in the preseason as well, that the floor was steep and he hit the floor. Man, I hope this isn't Kingery, don't you? Oh, man, that would be awful. I have to assume that Joe Adele is going to be a good fantasy option in 2022. And I have to assume the same with Hura. But you see yeah. my comp, don't yeah. you? Like, that's, I ca- that's I bothersome. Mean- the the progression of the career, they're different styles of players. And and if he's going full all or nothing, that could be messy. Yeah, that, that could go the direction of like Jack Jack Cuss walk more than Keston Hero did. But you, you know need, what I mean. If you look, if you need Harrison Bader to fill your outfield and Keston Hero is your last guy on your bench, yeah, you're dropping Keston Hero in a redraft league. Sorry. Yeah, you are. You're right. But not Cameron Maven. Who batted third in his debut this season for the I Mets? I was the Cameron Maven hater. After batting 103 in the minors, they decide. I mean, I understand you have to bring up or you have to trade for and bring up Cameron Maven. You bat him third ahead of Dom Smith. That's really good lineup roster maneuvering there. Wait, right, they, anyway. but, I mean, they were in that much of a pinch in center field. The Mets never had natural center fielders, and they were tired of using Kyler. Bat him seventh. <laughs> Bat him seventh. Even bat VR's third. I know. I mean, come on. You know, man, against a righty in his first game, I think. Oh, I understand Pete Alonzo was out. You didn't want to mess with the rest of the lineup batting third, but, but come on. Kyle, what's Cameron your first name? John, John, Est, John, I can't even remember. John something. It's like put two names together. That's where the Kyle Eric comes from. <laughs> All right. What's the next question? Two first names. Chip wants to know what you think about Noah Syndergaard. He sees that he's starting a rehab assignment. Shortly wants to know if you think there's any sort of value he'll hold in 2021. Good luck, man. I, yeah. I, I mean, it's not just, I'm not a hater. This isn't about Phillies versus Mets, but like coming back from Tommy John and, and had trouble staying healthy even before that. Like what's the best case scenario? 15 starts. They may be good ones, but 
15 starts would be my like over under. And he's not pitching till July, right? I don't know. I, I Mets need him. Maybe they're going to move him up soon. He could he could start in June at some point, but I don't know. I don't really want any part of it personally. I'd rather have Chris Sale. Yeah, so do I. I that in the preseason, you remember I said I go Sale, Severino, Cindergard of those three guys. I think they all come eligible on May 30th. I'd have to look based on the 60-day uh, IL. I might go Cindergard mm-hmm. over Severino now. You're coming back you, sooner. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't care. I, I'm picking the guy <laughs> based on where I think the top shelf numbers are going to be. Okay. It doesn't matter to me to like when these three are coming back. I think Sale can recapture his stuff the best of those three. I think Severino, it's going to be an all-in or all-out when he comes back, and I'll take the all-in possibilities. I think Cinderguards might be a slow progression. Okay. It's just a guess. Well, that's, I like, I your, think like your number. like your start projection. It's, uh, and, and you're going to wait for that? Like 15 starts, four wins, ERA 370? I don't know. I'm not I'm not. I mean, Cindergard could be great, but – Maybe he's great for six weeks at the end. I don't know. I don't know either. All right. What's next? All right, Dylan, you're playing into the Eric Carabell special here. He wants a decent comp for Adeles Garcia for the remainder of the season. Ooh, so a right-handed hitting outfielder who doesn't like to take walks, um, but also can run a little bit. Adolis Garcia right now is the number four outfielder on the player radar behind Acuna, Whit Merrifield, and Nick Castellanos, who's going to have his first 30 home run season. Um, this is a little Mitch Hanniger-like. Uh, 30 home run bat who could run a little bit, but isn't going to hit 300. Hmm, is that a comp for you? No, maybe Traditional not. Roto. Traditional Roto. Traditional Roto. Batting hmm. average. We're not talking about the plate discipline, people. Well, the plate discipline holds down the batting average. So that's part of the issue there. Um, it, it's more damaging in the sabermetric league. Is this, than- is this Randall Gritchick with a little bit more batting average? Mm. Is that your comp? How's that for a comp? That's an interesting one. I liked when you brought up Yasiel Puig, that the high end of Adalas Garcia could hit the Yasiel Puig numbers, but that it could be a big fluctuation. But yeah, I kind of like the Gritchick number. Yeah, right-handed hitting power bat. He, he was allergic to walks. Run a little. I'm not sure Gritchick ever did that. But uh, Garcia's running because he's like out there. He wants to just do something different. He's not a good base stealer. Man. He, he's going to end up like six for 13 on stolen base attempts. But it's interesting. I feel a little, by the way, that it could be Danny Santana-ish. Oh, don't say that. Look, he does, he, he's not going to run a, that much. He had a couple of excellent years. He did. Someone's at my door. Oh, I think the trash <laughs> The, the, the trash man's coming. <laughs> so you remember last year on Thursdays, my neighbor would always have his lawn mode. He's still doing that, but now I'm in a different part of the house. I'm wasting time. Kyle, what's next? <laughs> Preston wants to know what you expect from McKinstry the rest of the way. Uh, Zach McKinstry of the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, you know what? They have so many like parts there now <laughs> that by, by bringing in, but also by bringing in Pujols and Yoshi Tsutsugo, that's going to affect Zach McKinstry, who I kind of liked, you know, not a real, he's a guy who, who could hit double digit homers to double digit stolen bases and bat two, 280. You know, that's an interesting fellow. Not, not a prospect. He's like 26, 27. Um, but you can't really project. I mean, he could play second base. I don't think he can play short, but I, don't think, so. I think he, he can play third in a pinch. I, if I recall, I think he's second, third corner outfield, 
but and so that doesn't the pulls McKinstry doesn't really affect him. It affects the, the loss of like Edwin Rios is why they brought in those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're already seeing Muncie starting at second and pulls at first against lefties. I, I don't mm-hmm. think you need to keep McKinstry around because like if as long as Chris Taylor and Gavin Lux hit McKinstry won't play that much. Yeah. Mixy matchy player. The first things I think of are Tyler Naquin in Cleveland. And I think of Mauricio Jabon nowadays. You find spots for him at different, a couple different, infi- I mean, Naquin couldn't do it in the infield, but Dubon, a couple different infield spots against lefties at short occasionally plays a little bit in the outfield. I, I agree. Not, not much there. Not much there anymore. Okay. All right. Last one comes from Cody. He wants to know if there's any reason to hold on to Jameson Tyone does get Detroit next weekend. I feel like we talk about him a lot on this show. No, we do. We do. By the way, he gets another start first. He gets the Chicago start first. Well, you look, you're the Yankee fan. So what are you doing with Jamison Tyone? I mean, I, we say this a lot. I mean, the, the, the whip is a lot lower than the ERA. Mm-hmm. The strikeout rate is tremendous, and that alone makes him worth. But the fact that he's a Yankee and not a Pirate is also you know, making his value kind of skew in a different direction. But I'm looking at his, his Babip's fine. Um Exit velocity is great. Nobody's barreling him up. Like, there's something here. Wow, he's not throwing as hard as he used to. I didn't realize that. How about that? He yeah. also is throwing that pitch a lot more than he did in Pittsburgh. So he might be attempting to dial it down. Statcast, by the way, says that he has been one of the least fortunate pitchers in baseball to this stage. But I would probably take Kluber over him now, wouldn't you? I would as well. And my Biggest hesitation on Tyone is the Yankees will manage his innings down to probably a 130-ish number. I don't think he's throwing. I don't think he has any chance at 170 or so innings. No, I agree with that. I don't. I don't think. I hope Kluber can stay healthy. Maybe maybe not throwing as hard will help him to stay healthy. And and honestly, the la- the injury last year when he threw only one inning for Texas was he got hit by a, a, a line drive. Right? It wasn't even like an elbow or a shoulder or anything. Wasn't he just got hit by a line drive in the first he did, And in the rehab, I think he had a setback and that's what cost him the rest of but it. It was game. like an oblique or something. It wasn't like a repeatable thing. You yeah. know, it's like the trout injuries. All these trout injuries are a little bit different, but the fact that he keeps having them, it's almost like a running back hitting 30 years old. It's like, okay, his body is just breaking down in all these different places. Mm-hmm. And he started his career like 19 with the angels. So like, yeah. that's why I'm scared. I, I, in a dynasty, I'm scared. I, yeah. I would try to move up, trade him away, not dump him, but trade him away for like younger players. That's like a 34 year old body now. Anyway, uh, you know I, hope you are, like, I hope you are. I, 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 from a baseball fan's perspective, and I'm sure you agree with this, I hope you are oh, catastrophically wrong there. I love him, yes. But, but you're right that you know what? He will probably come back in July after the All Star break. If he has a monster month after that, that might be a brilliant time to cash in. You're you're dead on on that. That's he's more valuable in a points league for the walks than in a roto, where the you know the stole the steals are important and all that. But like in terms of durability, we got to look at this guy differently. You're right. You're right. You know we just don't do it anymore. He's Kershaw from outfield. It's still a very good thing to be Kershaw. We still it, win it very is, but they're not the automatic when, number one guy. When he plays, it'll be great, just like Kershaw. But he doesn't play enough. He's Kershaw. I wish I'd written that in my uh, column the other day that he is Kershaw. All right. Um, what's the what was the trivia again? The problem with being Kershaw is that it took us like two years to get Kershaw's ADP right. <laughs> we we're still drafting him for what we hope. Well, I was do. saying no. it, but nobody was listening. You can't, Kyle. You can't get a ADP right on guys like that. That's the point. I know. Of the I know. It's I the Mondesi conundrum where you can make the case up here and you can make the case down here, and especially based on your league. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. That's hard to see. I hope, like Tristan said, I hope Eric's wrong. Top five in hard hit percentage this season. Three of them, Stanton, Judge, Acuna. 
excuse me, give me the other two on that list. Both are barreling the ball up over 57% of the time. And they have to be qualified, correct? They do have to qualify, yes. Well, I just wrote about this guy last week. Naquin is doing that. He's barreling the ball up. Is he among the leaders? He's not among the quite high enough. Okay. Okay. And Tatis doesn't qualify? Correct. These are two older players. So, Mr. Carabao, this is right up your alley. Nelson Cruz. Cruz, of course. Nelson Cruz is sixth. He's not right, but he's sixth. (laughs) Nelson Cruz didn't make it. I was going to say Franco, but he's not older. Um, Katie Martinez. No. Oh. Darn it. <laughs> how, how sweet would that have been? It's funny. Okay, older, experienced. I, I don't want to. I mean, like Bryce Harper. Like, uh, all right. Let's see. Um, well, I mean, there's no way he continues this, but is Longoria one of them? Yeah. Really? Longoria's second behind only Stanton. All right. I would never have gotten that. Never. Well, you said older. I'm just trying to think of old guys now. No chance. Uh, yeah. I, I'm done. Who cold. else is old? I mean, it's not. <laughs> he's old for the position. I'll give you that. He's my age, but he's old for the position. Old for the position. Short. What, that, what does that even mean? A short. Like a 31 year old shortstop, then. Not Semyon. Wait, I'm sorry. It's a 15 year old shortstop. <laughs> if we're counting 15, I'm not sure that's going to be old for any position. Uh you got to give us another hint. An older I mean, shortstop. I, I, an older shortstop? Is that really uh, what it is? Didi Gregorius. Not a shortstop. Not Didi, I can tell you that. <laughs> I know. Somebody's got to crouch for a living that makes that ages you a little faster. Crouch for a living? That, oh, it's a catcher. Oh. So I just said it's oh, not Posey. Not nope. Posey. I like the Posey guess, but no. That would have been fun to have Longoria and Posey both up there. Catcher? Yeah. Uh, not Sally Perez. Sally Perez, number four. Between uh-huh. Judge and Acuna, you have yourself Salvador Perez. He does hit the ball hard. Every time I watch him play, like he's rocketing a ball somewhere into the outfield. I mean, Sal Perez is it's the Yadi Molina thing. Starts to hit in the thirties. It's amazing. I'm right? really I'm really impressed that the adjustments he made to his game have paid off to this level of fruition. I didn't think he'd hit for average. But he is. You and I talk about that a lot, and I agree. It's it's amazing that he's doing that, and the fact that he's able to handle the catcher chores this deep into his career. And after you know blowing out his knee, like it's a it's a career resurgence. I wonder if in five years we're going to be saying Sally Perez, like Molina, is a first time Hall of Famer. Like you know, like I'm not sure Molina has the numbers for it, but like everybody loves him. And Perez, and he won a World Series. That's a very in, interesting comp. In 15 years, we're going to have interesting debates at catcher based on the chores that are required nowadays. I think I'll, be, right. I'll be voting on that because I'll, I'll get my Hall of Fame vote in a couple of years. And like Posey, Molina, Sal Perez. Yeah. I don't know about Perez. Posey's going in. I, I, but I think if, if Perez delivered you three, four-ish more years like this, top three catcher, and with yeah, the defense he's it. provided – yeah, no, you'd have to think about it. All right, that's uh, that's it for our show today. We thank you so much for listening. And by the way, by the way, Buster only has you covered on the baseball tonight each morning, so you should listen to that show as well. Doesn't have Schoenfeld on this week. Davey's on his vacation, and it was all his fault that I shattered my arm. Um, that's it. Thank you for listening. It's time to make some elbow macaroni. Tristan, have a great weekend. Kyle, you as well, and all the listeners. We really thank you for listening to our little show here. Uh, I'm Eric Carabell. Have an awesome one.